Psalm chapter 73. And I prayed about what kind of message to begin this brand new year with. And this is where the Lord's directed us. I trust it'll be a great help to you. Psalm chapter 73. And I'd like us to begin by reading the very last verse. Again, Psalm chapter 73 and verse number 28. Psalm 73 and verse 28. Let's read that together, reading that out loud. Verse 28. But it is God good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful for each one that's here. Lord, we're thankful for a brand new year. And Lord, we trust that you would help us. And I think what this verse says will help us in this year ahead. Direct my words, fill me with your spirit. Lord, would this make a difference for how we walk with you? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Do you know, as we begin this brand new year, you and I have no idea what's ahead of us. And because we don't know what's ahead of us, it wouldn't be very good for us to put our confidence in ourselves. Our answer is to put our confidence in the one who does know what's ahead of us. And uh, that's exactly what this verse is talking about. Uh, do you know about 75 years ago, someone wrote a Christian song about that very thing. And that song, I won't sing it, I'll spare you from that. I don't know about tomorrow, I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry o'er the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what is ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. So it's him that we have to trust. Uh, you know, it's the custom, and I don't think it's a bad one, we don't do it, but it's the custom of many independent Baptist churches that they pick a theme for their year. And so there are many churches that have already picked a theme that they're going to use for 2024. You say, Pastor, how would you know that? Well, we kind of have an email site, us independent Baptists, that we can communicate to each other. And uh, many of them have uh, told about what theme. Now, you'd have to understand preachers. I'm one, so I kind of understand it. All of us are alliterated. So because it's 2024, they're going to come up with themes somewhere that rhymes with or. I just know it. That's how it is. So one church's theme is love God more in 2024. Uh, another theme is know him more in 2024. Someone came up with the open door in 2024. Someone else came up with plenty more in 2024. This is a, a original arise and soar in 2024. So what do they do with those? Well, some of them will make a banner that's across the front of their church building. It'll be up there all year. And uh, I, I would think after a month, people would be tired. That's just my opinion. But uh, uh, someone came up with much more in 2024. Brother Donnelly, bless his heart, we support him. Uh, he thought his was best. Brother Donnelly said, our theme is come more, give more, do more in 24. And he said this, when he sent the email out, he said, doesn't it have a ring to it? Well, <laughs> he said, preacher, why don't we do that? That theme? No, why don't we do that? Uh, we just, you know, I never sat under a preacher that did it. There's no mandate in the scripture to do it. So, I'm, but, but you know what? As I looked at this verse we just read, I thought if we needed a theme to help us through 2024, this would be a good one. The only one that, the problem is it doesn't rhyme with or. I say, Pastor, what's the theme? Look there again at Psalm chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73, the last words there is, it is good for me to draw near to God. So it has the beginning. It is good for me to draw near to God. Folks, we don't know what's going to happen this year. It might be that this is the very best year that you ever had. And if that's true, it is good for me to draw near to God. Even if it's the best year you've had, you still need to draw near to God. 
It could be that this year ahead is more difficult than you've ever had. And if that's true, it is still good to draw near to God. So if you're writing a title down, that'll be my title. It is good for me to draw near to God. I know that's kind of long, but it's, it's Bible. And again, I would suggest to you that once you know the background of the writer, the chapter, what's happening, you'll understand why that is a great statement that this man made. So again, we're going to look at this thought, is good for me to draw near to God? Could I begin by us looking at the man who emphasized drawing near to God? Look there again in verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. Preacher, who is it that wrote that? Who is the man that uh, emphasized drawing near to God? Well, because this verse is found in the book of Psalms, if we had to guess, we'd guess David. Why? Because David wrote over half of the Psalms, and so if we had to guess and didn't know, we'd probably guess that David wrote it. Uh, David wrote again many of the chapters back up there to Psalm chapter 69, if you would. Psalm 69, right under the title of Psalm 69, at the end of it, it says a Psalm of David. So David wrote Psalm 69, look there in Psalm chapter 70. Psalm 70, right under the title, it says to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. So David wrote Psalm 70. Uh, look there in Psalm chapter number 71. Uh, it doesn't tell us there, so it's anyone's guess. But look in Psalm chapter 72, a psalm for Solomon. One more now, look at Psalm chapter 73. It says, a psalm of Asaph. So Psalm 73 was not written by David. It was written by a man named Asaph. Now, you'd have to admit, I would have to admit, that's not a common Bible name. Uh, we don't recognize Asaph like we recognize Abraham. We don't recognize uh, Asaph like we would recognize Peter, or like we would recognize Paul. So you say, well, preacher, who is this writer of this chapter, Asaph? I think it's important to find it out. Let's keep your hand there in Psalms. Look, if you would, in Second Chronicles chapter 29. So Chronicles is before Psalms, earlier in the Bible, uh, look there in Second Chronicles 29. Now, I think if you understand his background, it will prove to be even more important why he wrote that statement, it is good for me to draw near to God. Second Chronicles chapter 29, look there in verse number 30. Second Chronicles 29, verse 30, Moreover, Hezekiah the king, and the princes command the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So the one thing that we know about this man Asaph that wrote Psalm 73 was he, is a, he was a seer. Now help me. We don't use that term anymore. What term has replaced a seer? A prophet. Back there we find that in, I think, 1 Samuel 9. Uh, he was called a seer because God supernaturally allowed that man to see into the future. That's why he was called a seer. But he was a prophet. If we used a term today, because we don't have prophets today, we'd say a preacher. So the man that wrote Psalm 73, he was a preacher, if I could use that term. There's something else that we can learn about this man. Look there in 1 Chronicles, and that's chapter number 6, 1 Chronicles 6. So we're going to try to put some details about this man that wrote Psalm 73. And again, if you're taking notes about it, it's good for me to draw near to God. First of all, the man who emphasized drawing near to God. Uh, we know his name is Asaph. We know that he's a prophet. First Chronicles chapter number 6. Look, if you wouldn't, verse 32. First Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 32. And they ministered before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of the congregation with singing until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And then they waited on their offering according to their order. Now look at verse 39. Verse number 39, we read there, And his brother Asaph, there's Asaph again, who stood on his right hand, even Asaph the son of Berechiah, the son of Shimei, 
Uh, the reason that we put together verse 32 and verse 39, not only is this man a prophet, but this man's a singer. In the house of God, often he would lift up his voice and sing praises to God before the congregation that gathered in the house of God. So he's a prophet. He is a singer in the house of God. Let me give you another thing that we learn. Look there in 1 Chronicles 16. 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse number 4. Again, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 4, we find something else about this man, Asaph. And it says, And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel, Asaph the chief. Stick with me. We know he's a prophet. We know he's a singer. Now, here in verse number 5, we read that he is a chief. So, in that context, it's also about musicians. So, he's a chief in the singing, a chief in the musicians. He might have been the song leader of that house of God. He might have been the orchestra director in the house of God. Stick with me. We're, we're trying to find about the man that wrote Psalm 73. He's a preacher. He's a singer. He is the chief musician in the house of God. I give you another thing. Look there, you're still in 1 Chronicles 16. Uh, look there in verse number 14. Uh, sorry, verse 4. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister. So this Asaph is a Levite. He's of the chosen tribe of Israel. This guy's got a lot of things going for him. He's a preacher. He's a singer. He's a chief musician. He's a Levite of the favored tribe of Israel. Look there, if you would, in verse number 5. Right at the end of verse number 5, it talks about, but Asaph made a sound with cymbals. So he's not only the chief of the musicians and the chief director, if you would, of the orchestra, he plays an instrument himself. This particular instrument that he's playing is cymbals. I give you another thing. You can let go of all the chronicles, but look there in Psalm 50. And then we'll get back to Psalm 73. Psalm chapter number 50. Now, we've already commented that Asaph was the one that wrote Psalm 73. But that's not the only psalm that he wrote. Look there in Psalm chapter 50. Right under the title, we find a psalm of Asaph. So this man is not only a preacher. He is a singer in the house of God. He's a chief musician. He is a Levite. He's of the favored tribe of Israel. He plays an instrument himself. He plays the cymbals. And he is a writer of the word of God. You have to say, Pastor, man, with everything that that guy has going with him, He's got it made. He's certainly living on the victory side of life. He probably doesn't have a problem or a worry with as busy as he is in ministry for God. Why would he write Psalm 73? Look at it again, Psalm 73 and verse number 28. Psalm 73 and verse 28, in spite of all that this man did, in spite of all the talents and the abilities that he had, he still wrote in Psalm 73, verse 28, but it is good for me to draw near to God. But I say to you this morning, it doesn't matter what ministry that you might have. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher. It doesn't matter in the church if you're a singer. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher. It doesn't matter if you play an instrument. It doesn't matter if you speak. It doesn't matter if you write songs. It doesn't matter what you do. You can do all those things and yet not be near God. How many are with me? Just because you preach doesn't guarantee you're near God. I listened to a message on a cassette tape, whatever that is, on a cassette tape when I was 16 years of age. I was a teenager making some decisions in my life. 
And the preacher that preached this message, it was called Purity, Morality, and Godly Living. As I listened to that message, God convicted my heart about as a teen that I was to stay pure and not touch and not do the dating thing and the handsy, touchy, huggy, kissy, all that rest of that stuff. God convicted me through that message to stay pure until the day that I got married. And by God's grace, God helped me to keep that. Do you know I found later that the man that preached that great message himself was in immorality when he preached that. And you say, well, how is it possible that a man could preach on something that would make such a difference in your life, Pastor, and he be living in sin when he did that? It's the same reason why Asaph, who was a preacher and who was a singer and who was the chief of the instruments, played an instrument himself, was of the tribe of Levi and wrote scripture, said, it is good for me to draw near to the Lord. Could I say, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor of a church. It doesn't matter if you play an instrument. It doesn't matter if you work in the kitchen, work as an usher, as a Sunday. It doesn't matter what you do. It is still important that you draw near to God. Because you can keep doing that ministry and you could simply be gifted with an ability. There are people that can sing far better than maybe some of the singers, certainly better than me, but there are people in this world that can sing better than some of the people that sing behind this pulpit. Singing doesn't guarantee that you're close to God. Preaching doesn't guarantee that you're near God. So whatever you do this year, and by God's grace, you ought to do something for him this year. It's, it's good to draw near to the Lord. So the first thing that we've learned about this Psalm 73 is we have learned the man who emphasized drawing near to God Again, this man said, in spite of all that he had, listen, he wasn't a fringe person of the house of God. It's not like Asaph once in a while popped up when it was convenient to go to the house of God. Asaph wasn't just, some people, it seems they just dip their toes in the work of God, never really get it. He is neck deep in the work of God. And yet he said it's still good for me to draw near to God. If anything happens to you this year that's of any value as far as eternity, it'll be because you or I drew near to God and God blessed it because of that. I say to you, first we've looked at the man who emphasized. Again, you can preach for God as Asaph. He was a preacher. And still, your heart not be near to God. You can sing. As Asaph sang, I'm sure his voice blessed many people. But you can sing and still not be near to God. Do you know, you could lead singing. He did. And still be not near God. Uh, you can play an instrument. And aren't you we glad that there are folks in this church who can play an instrument? I know there's some assemblies of people that are anti-instrument. Aren't you glad we've not gone that way? I just think it's a blessing that way. But you can play an instrument and play it well and your heart not be near God. You can write, you could write books and commentaries and songs that are a blessing to a multitude of people and that your heart not be near God. We won't ask for a show of hands. I could raise my hand and say, there's times that I have ministered for God, but this heart wasn't what it was supposed to be. I don't think that's now, but there have been times. Folks, whatever happens this year in your life, whatever you're able to do, for God this year. 
That is so important. First thing, again, we're looking at this thought of it is good for me to draw near to God. Um, we've seen the man who emphasized drawing near to God. Do you know uh, that's true no matter how young you are? It's true no matter how old you are. It's true no matter how young in the faith you are. It's true no matter how old in the faith you are. It's true no matter what position. i give you a second thing that we learn from Psalm 73. Look there in verse 22. This man in verse 28 that said, it is good for me to draw near to God. Look what he said about himself in verse 22. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Boy, that sure doesn't sound like the same man in verse 28. That sounds like a man, if he's even a Christian, who was so distant from God. It, seems, it sounds like a man that brought such displeasure. This is the same man, folks, that wrote verse 28, that wrote verse 22. This man, Asaph, that said, it is good for me to draw near to God. He said in verse 22, so foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Say, preacher, what is it that Asaph did that would cause him to say that? He's not describing the years before he ever came to God. He's not describing what you and I would call the lost years. Asaph is not describing the time before he became a preacher, before he was a singer in the house of God. He's not describing the time before he became the song leader. He's talking about a time when he still did all those things. Pastor, what did he do? What could a preacher, a singer, what could a choir director, what could someone that plays an instrument in the house of God, what is it that a Levite, a writer of the Word of God, what could he possibly have done that he would say, boy, that was foolish? What could he possibly have done that I was so ignorant? That's another fancy word for stupid. I was so stupid. What could he have possibly done that he would have said, I was as a beast before God? The answer is found back there in verse number three. Sorry, verse number two. Whatever it is he's done, Psalm 73, verse 2, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Whatever he did, he said, I almost lost it. He said, I, I, I almost fell away from God. This thing that I did almost took my footing out from underneath me. This thing I did almost made me a statistic, a has-been for God. Preacher, what is it that a, that a preacher, a, a singer, an instrumentalist, a choir director, a, a Levite, a, a writer, of the, what is it that could take somebody of such a profile and make them a statistic? That's now found in verse 3, Psalm 73 and verse 3. The Bible says, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Shouldn't this man that God had blessed with talent and ability and leadership skills and even position, shouldn't this man have been so grateful for all that God had given him? But you know what it says in verse number three? He said, I was envious. He said, I looked at the people in the world and all the things that they had and all the stuff that they owned. And if we brought it up to today's date, the houses, the cars, the trips, the savings, the clothing, the friends. And he said, you know, he said, when I began to look that all the things that the world had. Notice what happened in his heart, verse 3. Psalm 73, verse 3, For I was envious at the foolish 
when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph got looking at all the things that this world enjoyed, and he became envious of it all. And that envy almost destroyed everything that he was doing for God. It almost stopped him in his tracks. It almost shelved him. I'm saying that, uh, you know, there are preachers today. We call them prosperity preachers. I'm sure you've heard of them. And these who are prosperity preachers, what they'll tell you is when you get saved, then God promises you his very best. But in this Christian life, you can have God's very best and this world's very best. And people that buy into that pitch, their trouble is verse number three when they can't get the best of God and the best of this world, they forget how good God's been to them. And so they become envious of all that this world has. You can be a preacher. If you start envying what this world has, it could take your spiritual feet out from under you. You can be a singer. You can be a song leader. You can play an instrument. You can be part of God's chosen people. You can be a writer of scripture, a writer of songs. You could write commentaries, write books that thrill the hearts of people. But if you start looking at this world, if you get frustrated because you don't have all that this world has, you can slip. And you can fall. And it can cost you everything that you've got. We, we're, we're trying to learn this morning about it is good for me to draw near to God. And the first thing we looked at is a man, the man who emphasized drawing near to God, it was Asaph. He was a preacher, a singer, a song leader, a Levite, played instruments, even wrote scripture. Second, would you write this down? Uh, the landmine that'll prevent our drawing near to God. We're trying to give you M's. <laughs> the landmine that'll prevent our drawing near to God. Pastor, I do believe in Psalm 73, verse 28. I do believe it's good for me to draw near to God. You know what'll, you know what'll totally destroy that wholesome desire? Is being envious of this world. Folks, you can't get both. There's very few Christians that have a close walk with God and have every worldly desire met. Most times, if you're going to get more of God, you're going to have to let go of the things of this world. So I just, I just want more of this world, Pastor. Then you're going to have to let go of what you have with God. I'm not preaching against ambition. I'm not preaching against honestly desiring to save more. If you work, I'm not, I'm not trying to trash any of that. But I'm saying what almost destroyed this preacher, this singer, this song director, this Levite, this man who played an instrument in the orchestra of the house of God, and this man who wrote scripture, is he got envying what this world had and he didn't have. And he said there in verse 2, it just about took my feet out from under me. It just about cost me everything that I had. Do you know these preachers that are preaching a prosperity gospel, the problem is it's just not true. Jesus said this, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus said, I don't have everything in this world. Do you know, our Lord told that parable of the seed sown on four different kinds of ground. And one of those grounds, he said, these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things Entering in, choke the word, and it become unfruitful. 
Now, folks, you know what choking is. We don't choke people. Uh, we might think of choking people, but we don't choke people. Choking is when you put your hands around someone's and just squeeze and squeeze. And the Bible says to chase after the riches of this world will choke the word of God out of your spiritual life. Asaph said, that's just about what happened to me when I got envious of the wicked. Somehow Asaph convinced himself that he could have both that he could have a full helping of the God life, and he had that. But he figured that he also could have a full helping of the world. And I wonder if someone struggles with that. Someone that you've got so much going for you. You've been blessed with so much. Could it be in there? You're just a little disappointed with God. That's Asaph. I give you a third thing here that we learn from the text. Look there in Psalm 73 and verse 4. Uh, the Bible says no man can serve two masters. And, and we'll be back in verse 4 in a minute. You, you, you can't get them both. You know, a few uh, months ago I was preaching through second, or third John. Well, I'll turn to it for the sake of time. But you know in third John, John wrote to this man, Christian man. He said, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health, even as thy soul prospereth. So John said to this Christian man, I, I really wish that you'd prosper and be in good health. I wish it. You know, the prosperity gospel people use that verse. That was 3 John verse 2. They used that verse as evidence that you see there, if you live for God, you can have everything of God and everything is worth. That's That verse completely tells a different story. John said, beloved, all things I wish. I, I wish that you could. Well, by the fact that he's wishing that this Christian would have good health and, and good wealth, tells us he didn't. That's why John's wishing it for him. I'm saying to you, it's a landmine that can destroy the best of God's people to look at this world and envy all that this world has. When Jesus walked by Peter and Andrew, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make the fishers of men. Peter and Andrew had a choice. They could have chosen to stay in that fishing business with their father probably would have done very well with it. Or they could have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. We're glad they followed Jesus Christ. They did have to walk away from something. When Jesus walked by Matthew, his other name was Levi, he was a tax collector. He was sitting at the table collecting the taxes of people. You've got to know he had a pretty good life. Those publicans had a reputation of skimming off the top more than they should. He had a pretty good life. Jesus said to Levi, follow me. Levi had a choice. I, I, I can stay right here. This got me set pretty good for life. Or I can follow Christ. You know what he did? He followed Christ. He walked away from that table. It's a landmine to think that you can have the very best of God and also have the very best of this world. And if in your heart you're saying, Lord, yeah, I'm thankful to be saved. I'm thankful to be part of a good church. And Lord, I'm thankful that I can preach once in a while and sing and play an instrument. And I, I'm... But God, what do you mean but God? That's a landmine. And Asaph said, I almost slipped. I almost fell. Remember what he said in verse 22? I was so foolish. We're looking here at, it is good for me to draw near to God. First of all, the man who emphasized it was Asaph. He's a preacher, a singer, a song leader, Levi, played instruments. We looked at the landmine that will prevent our drawing near to God. It's enjoying this world. I give you a third thing we learned from the text there in Psalm 73, verse 4. 
for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Do you know everything from verse 3 onward in Psalm 73 is what Asaph reads when he looks at the world. So this isn't the world saying it about themselves. This is what Asaph reads when he looks at the world. Now, you're going to find out it's a misread. Well, if you're thinking, if I just have more, boy, I'll be so happy. <laughs> no, you won't. That's a misread. And so we're going to look at this man, Asaph, who had everything going for him spiritually. And when he looks at the world and becomes envious, this is what he thinks they've got. Let's look at it. Let's look again. Psalm chapter 73 and verse number 4. Make it verse number 3. For I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, boy, they're prosperous. Uh, they've got everything. The word prosperity is financially successful. Man, they are financially successful. He has no idea the debt that so many of those people carry. He has no idea the payments. All he can see is the prosperity. You understand that's a misread. Uh, if you're taking notes, the third thing that we find is the misread of those who don't draw near to God. The misread. And that's why we need to draw near to God. It'll help us to understand, no, no, it's, it's not all glory and it's not all praise and it's not all excitement. It might appear that way. And so again, uh, verse 3, uh, he, he thinks that world is so prosperous. That's misread. I, I'll give you a second thing. Look there in verse 4. For there are no bands in their death. Uh, in other words, they don't have any fear of death. No limitations. No struggles. They're set for the rest of their life. That's a misread. Uh, I, I read a lot because I prepare for messages all the time. As soon as one is ready, I'm working on the next one. <laughs> Do you know how many people had the world by the tail? And they were petrified when it came to the time of breathing their last breath. You talk about fear. They came to the place where they realized all the money in the world wasn't going to help. But that was his read. Keep reading there in verse number 5. They are not in trouble as other men. <laughs> they don't have any troubles. You know, we all have troubles. Uh, you know, we have bunions and hip problems and face problems and glasses. and <laughs> We've got all kinds of problems. Car won't start. Food price has gone through the ceiling. But his read was... They don't have any troubles. They don't have any problems. Look again, verse number five. They're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Again, they don't have a problem. They never have sickness. They never have plagues to battle with. Look at verse six. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as garments. So you know what? With all the money they have, boy, they just walk so high. Well, they've got everything they want. No fears. Every need is met. Verse 7. Their eyes stand out with fatness. <laughs> they have more than heart could wish. Now look at the last part of verse 7. They have more than heart could wish. Folks, that's what people that stare at those in the world, they got everything that they want. Every need, every desire, you name it. They've got the best of and the best of and the, that is a misread. But that's what this Asaph, hold on, he's a preacher. Yes, but he's got his eyes on the world. Oh, he's a singer. Yeah, but he's got his eyes on the world. Folks, all of our wants as a Christian aren't mad. But all of our needs are. 
Paul said, my God shall supply all your need. God can provide all of that. But Asaph's misread was they've got everything. In fact, he said there again, the end of verse 7, they have more than the heart could wish. Look at verse number 8. Verse number 8, they are corrupt and speak wickedly. So he, he said, you know, they can say anything they want. I have to be careful with my words. I, I'm always checking before I say something that's stupid. They can say stupid things. They can say wicked things. And no one challenges them when they say that. Uh, look there in verse number 9. They set their mouth against the heavens. They, they can even say horrible things about God. And they get by with it. There's no correction. In verse 9, their tongue walketh through the earth. Uh, verse number 10, therefore as people return hither and the waters of a full cup are wrung out to them, they got a full cup. They, they, they've got everything. Verse 11, and they say, how doth God know? That's a mockery statement. It's, that's not a genuine question that the world is asking. That's a, that's a mocking statement. Well, how does God know? Folks, Christians don't talk like that. Because we know better. We know God knows everything. But he's saying the world talks like that. And God never corrects the world. Listen, there, some of you work side by side with wicked-mouthed people that curse and swear and they take God's name in vain and they're vulgar, and you say, well, Lord, why don't you do anything? That's where Asaph is. They mock God, and nothing happens. Keep reading verse 11. Again, this is misread, and they say, how did God know? It's, it's a sarcastic statement. And is there knowledge in the Most High? So the world is, is making fun of the God that Asaph is serving. Oh, how does your God know? As if he knows everything. And Asaph, because he's got his eyes in the wrong place, he's starting to think that, well, maybe God doesn't know. Do you understand why it's so important to draw near to God? Because otherwise your mind is going to envy this world. And your read on how good it is if you just had all that the world had, it's going to mess you up. Uh, look there in verse number 12. Last observation, verse number 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches that's where he started back there in verse number three. He said, they got everything. They're, they're filthy rich. Look at them. I'm saying, you know why it is good for me to draw near to God? Because otherwise I will have a misread of those and this world. I say the misread of those who don't draw near to God. You know, the Bible says riches are deceitful. The Bible says riches have wings. You know, when rich people reach death's door, they realize everything they have can't help them then. The people of the world don't have more than heart could wish because they always want more. But Asaph thought that. That was his misread. Preacher, is it really so wrong to long for more things in this world? Pastor, is it, is it really that wrong? Let me tell you, why you don't want to do that. Because every moment that your eyes gaze on the things of this world is a moment that your eyes are not gazing on God. You can't look at both. So if you're a boy, I just wish I'd watch you. You will lose sight of all that God's done for you. Look at Psalm 73 verse 1. Psalm 73, verse 1, he started the chapter with a great statement. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. He started the chapter with saying, boy, God has been so good to our nation of Israel. 
And God is so good to those that seek God. That's where he started because his eyes in verse 1 were on God. But I'll tell you what, from verse number 3 all the way to verse number 12, he got so envious, he lost sight of God. How can people who've been Christians and been in Bible-preaching churches and sung the songs of God, how can they one day just decide to walk away from all that? Because where their eyes are. And if you get your eyes on the things of this world, you'll begin to envy what they got. And you'll get a little snarky with God. Why don't you give me more? You'll be a little upset with God. And you'll start thinking, it'll be a misread, you'll start thinking, boy, they got it so much. No, they don't. No, they don't. You know, a lot of folks, New Year's Day, <laughs> woke up with a headache. And they were scratching that head way back from there, and you know, and, an ant is walking across the floor and keep the noise down because that's the kind that that's where their fun came from that kind of party life and that kind of wickedness folks we didn't have that I trust you didn't have that <laughs> third thing we've seen is the misread of those who won't draw near to God look at the conclusion that Asaph came at Psalm 73 look there in verse 13 the conclusion he came to after he stared and longed for the things of the world. Uh, verse 13, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. Oh, well, a minute. Well, what? what does that mean? The longer that he, he looked at the world and wanted what the world had, he said, you know, all these years that I've tried to live a clean life, I've tried to get sin out of my heart, tried to live righteously, you know, he said, all that was a waste. Look at it, verse 13 again. Verse 13, verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. Vain is useless, empty. He said, all, all, all that time that I try to live for God and, and stay away from sin and confess my sins, and all of that time was a waste. No, it wasn't, Asaph, but you think that it was a waste because you got your eyes on this world. Ever heard anyone say, you know what? All those years I read the Bible every year. What, what a waste. Seriously? It was a waste to read the Bible every day? That's what he's saying after he has watched this world long for this. Not only does he say it was a waste all the time I tried to do right and stay clean. Last part of verse 13. And washed my hands in, in innocence. I, I wasted my life confessing my sins that I had done. There in verse 14. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. He said, all the troubles that I had to endure so that I could please God, all of that was a waste. You say, well, Pastor, I Preacher, I would never say living for God all these years was a waste. He did. And he was a preacher, and he was a singer, and he was a song director, and he played an instrument himself. He was of the chosen tribe of Israel. He wrote scripture. And yet he came to the place where he said, you know what, they've got everything. They've got all that their heart could ever wish. And living that old-fashioned, conservative Christian life is a wasted life. That's where Asaph got to. Folks, there's no guarantee. Thank God that you're in a Bible-preaching church the first Sunday of 2024. Do you know why you won't be in a Bible-preaching church the last Sunday of 2024? if you get your eyes on this world. You'll come to the place where that is more important than him. You'll start talking foolishly. All that separated life was such a waste. That's where he got to. I give you four things that we learn from the text. 
Look there in Psalm 73, verse 28. Again, Psalm chapter 73 and verse 28. It's where we started. He said, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I might declare all thy works. Preacher, is it ever possible for somebody who once was so committed to God like Asaph, and then soured and wanted to give up on God completely as Asaph. Preacher, is it ever possible for somebody that's gone from there to there to ever get back? Isn't that the question? <laughs> well, quite honestly, it's possible. But it's not probable. I wish I could say that in 33 years of pastoring that I, I can't count on all 10 fingers and 10 toes the people that have walked away from God and came. I wish I could say that, but I can't. Something happens when somebody walks away from God so they can get more of this world. Something happens. It's like the world's got them. If all they've ever had is the world, then God can save their soul and rescue them from it. But something happens when somebody had God on their life and they walked away from it because they wanted more world. But Asaph came back. Folks, that's the good news of the chapter. So the question is, how did he come back? Man, if he, if he was preacher, singer, song director, Levite, uh, played an instrument, wrote scripture, and came to the place where he said, I want what the world's got, and I think all those years living a Christian life was such a waste, Asaph came back because he wrote verse 28. How did it happen? I, for, if you're writing things down, the miraculous transformation in those who draw near to God the miraculous transformation in those that draw near to God. Pastor, how did he come back? What's the secret? Well, look at verse 18. Uh, back it up to verse, sorry, start with verse number 17. Psalm 73, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. You know what he did? He went into the house of God. Now, here's the tricky thing. He was already a preacher in the house of God. He was already a singer in the house of God. He already played instruments in the house of God. He already wrote scripture. But when his eyes were fixed on the things of this world, in fact, he says there in verse number 16, when I thought to know this, all that the world has, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I there. And you know why a misread of this world is so dangerous? Because whatever they have that you don't have, they won't have it forever. There is an end to that kind of living. And, and he went into the house of God as he probably did every week. And all of a sudden, one service in, in the house of God, we're not told if it was the singing. Folks, God can challenge your heart and mine through the singing, <laughs> through the special singing. Maybe it was a message that was preached. Here a man, Asaph, who had so many times stood behind a pulpit himself and preached, was sitting somewhere in a pew, listening, whether it was a song, whether it was a message. God got a hold of his heart. And he said, Asaph, you're thinking foolishly because you're not thinking of their end. Folks, there is an end to the joys of this world. It is called pleasures of sin for a season. And as he got thinking about that, it smote his heart. 
It broke his heart. In fact, look there if you would in verse number 18. Surely thou didst set them, that's the world in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream, when one awaketh, so Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. And God did that in ass service. I, I, I said this, I think it was last Wednesday, maybe it was last Sunday. Do you know, one of my prayers before every service that we have is, Lord, people that come to church all the time, thank you for coming every time you come. Would you make this the service? That in this, be it through the preaching, the singing, that, Lord, would this be the service to turn them completely around and draw them close to God? That's what happened. Asaph was thinking wrong until he went in the sanctuary of God and then understood I their end. Well, God did a great thing in just one service. So much so that now look what Asaph is thinking, verse 21. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my right. He, God has smitten him to the bone. So foolish was I and ignorant I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by, uh, sorry, holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me uh, to glory. When have I, uh, sorry, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. You understand his, 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 his vision has changed. When he was serving God and his eyes were fixed on God, he wrote verse 1. How good God has been. When he got thinking about that world and all that the world had, and they have everything their hearts desire, he wasn't looking at God anymore. And he walked into that house of God that he'd been at so many times. He'd preached there. He sang there himself. God got a hold of his heart and smote his heart. And he says, Lord, you're everything. He finally got his eyes where his eyes belong. You know what's going to happen this year? The devil's going to flash something out in this world and say, if you just had this, you'd be so much happier. And you're going to take the bait. And you're going to look at what somebody else who's in this world has, and you're going to misread the happiness that comes with that and the joy. And you're going to say, that's what I want. And I should have had that all along. And boy, I've wasted my time reading the Bible, being in an old-fashioned church, rolling up my sleeves, That's the devil. By God's grace, you'll just keep coming to church. Say, preacher, I think my heart's not right. It shouldn't come. No, no, you still need to come. You still need to be under the singing. You still need to be under the preaching. God can reclaim someone like that. But you know what would be a better testimony? That you never go to the world to begin with. Some of you, you'd have to say, Preacher, I, I got saved in an early age. I wandered away from God. But, Pastor, I came back. God bless you for it. But wouldn't it be better if you never wandered away from God? Wouldn't that be a better testimony? That's our prayer for our young people. That's our prayer for our children that they never sow their wild oats in this world. I say to you, the fourth thing that we learn is the miraculous transformation of those who draw near to God. I give you close the must of us getting back to drawing near to God. Preacher, why is it so important? Well, look at verse 28. Verse number 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. Preacher, why is that so important? Why is it a must? First of all, I have put my trust in the Lord. As long as your eyes are on this world, that's where your trust will be. 
You know why you have to draw near to God? So your trust resumes back with God. Second reason, verse 28, not only have I put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. Declare us to speak. You know, as long as your eyes are on God, you're not going to hesitate to tell people how good God's been. We saw that in verse 1. Do you know, as you focus on the things of the world, you know what you stop doing when you focus on the things of the world? You stop talking about God. You stop witnessing about God. You stop sharing God. You might do it because there's some coercion, but you don't like to do it. You don't want to do it. Your eyes are on the world if you don't want to talk about the great works of God. But you know the third reason? And I'm done with this. You know the third reason why you have to, why I have to draw near to God? Is Psalm 73 itself. Do you know Psalm 73 was written after Asaph came back to God? In fact, he not only wrote Psalm 73 after, look at Psalm 74. Psalm 74, subheading Amishel of Asaph. Look at Psalm 75, a psalm or song of Asaph. Look there in Psalm 76, a psalm or song of Asaph. Look there in Psalm 77, a psalm of Asaph. Psalm 78, a Michel of Asaph. Psalm 79, a psalm of Asaph. Psalm 80, a psalm. You understand why you have to, and I have to this year, draw near to God? Because the moment that you take your eyes off of God and chase after the things of the world, there's no more written about your spiritual life. Folks, I don't want to just make it through this year. I want there to be another year. If the Lord tarries, another year. You don't want the record of your spiritual walk to stop. This man came back to God. Thank God. For, he, he started trusting in God again. He started telling other people how good God was. And he had some chapters in his life after that still please God. Oh, it's so important. I've, I've used this illustration before, but I just like it, so if you tolerate me. Back in the, before 1950, a, a lady named Rhea Miller, she wrote a poem. And it was just words. Uh, wrote a poem, I'd Rather Have Jesus. That poem influenced a 23-year-old man named George. It gave him some direction for the rest of his life. George had grown up uh, with a devoted Christian parents. Uh, he was encouraged to use his singing voice in the church where his father pastored. But financial needs required George to leave college and go work at an insurance office. Well, one day he sang, and, and someone heard his singing ability, and he auditioned at the Radio City Music Hall, and they liked him. And they offered him a lucrative singing contract, but they said, if you sign this contract, you'll sing the songs we tell you to sing. You'll sing in the places that we tell you to sing. And he didn't know what to do. He knew he had a chance for the world. Went to his parents' home. His parents had this poem that Rhea Miller had written. But it was just a poem. And he was picking out the music for that church service that night. And he set the words of that poem in front of the piano. And he looked at the words, and, and, and God gave him the tune. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. And you know, God helped to make a decision that affected the rest of his life. That man George is George Beverly Shea. And maybe if you're younger, that name doesn't mean anything to you, but God used that man because when he was given an option for the world, and a big chunk of it, he was wise enough to realize that he was going to have to sacrifice God in order to get that. 
That's why he wrote or he sang the tune, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than of riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I think a great theme, and we're going to declare a theme and we're not going to have a banner. I think a great theme for this year is it's good for me to draw near to God. Asaph said that because he got his eyes off God. God gave him a second chance. And when God gave him a second chance, he got his eyes back on God. Don't take your eyes off God to begin with. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the text, Psalm 73. Lord, it's a great theme. It'd be a great theme for any church. It is good. It is good for me to draw near to God. Lord, I pray it help us. Asaph wasn't just some fringe believer. He was neck deep in the work of God. He was a preacher, a singer, choir director, wrote scripture. He was a Levite. But he got his eyes off of God and got his eyes on the world. And he started imagining how wonderful that must be until God broke his heart. 